Welcome to this edition of the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. I'm Jack Ford. So, we talk about at the top of each and every one of these podcasts, Champion Magazine. So we thought, let's talk about Champion Magazine and what it is and what it's become, how it got started. And we thought to do that, it would make sense to, to bring in Brian Hendrickson, who's the executive editor of Champion Magazine, and Amy Wimmer Schwab, who is the editor of Champion Magazine, because it is the 10th anniversary of Champion Magazine coming up here. Uh, so it seems like an appropriate time to have this conversation of, of how it got started, what it's become, and what the vision is for the future. So, uh, Brian, Amy, welcome to both of you. It's always good to, to spend some time with you. Um, Brian, let me start off with you, if I can. Uh, anniversaries, we always tend to take that opportunity to look back. And then we take the opportunity to look forward also. But the looking back is, is kind of a compelling thing. So looking back 10 years um, before Champion Magazine came along, what did the NCAA have as a means to try to communicate some of the, the stories? Well, from about the early 1960s, like about 1962, the NCAA started producing a, a biweekly newspaper. I think it started less than biweekly. It might have been monthly or something, but it was called the NCAA News. And the, the whole point of it, of that paper, was to keep the NCAA membership informed. So, you know, a lot of times we people don't realize that the NCAA, the 1,100 schools that make up the NCAA, are all participating members who have to vote on new rules that go into effect every year. Uh, and those rules end up, you know, governing how they have to operate uh, each year. And so the whole point behind the newspaper was to keep the membership up to date on some of the decisions that were being made by the committees that their peers were, were participating in, you know, in Kansas City at one time and then in Indianapolis for about the last uh, 15, 20 years, uh, and, and let them know kind of these are the issues that we're discussing. These are kind of the concepts that we're considering. Uh, you're going to be voting on this every January when you come to uh, convention. So, uh, you know, this is kind of just to kind of help you keep your thumb on the pulse of what's happening in your organization. Uh, and so it ended up growing uh, into something bigger than just kind of an update newsletter kind of thing. Uh, it ended up really kind of addressing a lot of the issues that were that were being dealt with in college sports. So when Title IX was a hot topic, uh, you know, before you know, women's sports really became a regular part of the NCAA, it was a it was a hotly debated topic in in the NCAA, and and the NCAA news kind of helped the membership kind of understand what some of the issues were, kind of walked up to what the conversations were, things like that, to help the membership make informed decisions when they would go to the convention. Um, and so that went on. The NCAA news became a, a biweekly publication by the late 90s, early 2000s. And then as you as you started to see the web kind of, you know, become the primary delivery mechanism for a lot of news outside of, you know, an association newspaper, uh, you know, it kind of became aware the original editor of Champion Magazine, Dave Pickle, uh, he kind of recognized uh, that you know, this is this is going toward a digital version, but we still think that there needs to be something that can kind of talk big picture about the issues facing college sports. And maybe the website isn't the best way to approach those things. Maybe we need to try a different format that gives us a, a new voice for talking to our members. And so Dave started Champion Magazine uh, about 10, well, exactly 10 years ago, obviously. And uh, um, and his concept was that initially it kind of followed a lot of the what the NCAA News was trying to do. But you can see very quickly, if you look back at our back issues, that it evolved very quickly into something else. But, uh, Amy, 
let's let's go back to those the the, those, the first issue if we can. All right. And you know, Brian described what the NCA news was like, and it probably fairly similar to what a lot of organizations, similar organizations, had going on this biweekly, and kind of we all knew what they were newsletters. You know, it's been an important part of communication for forever. So when this transition is starting to take place between the NCA News and then Champion Magazine, uh, talk about the very, in the very beginning, the very first couple of issues. How was it going to be different then from the NCA News? Well, I actually might talk a, a little bit about the similarities. Okay, good. Start, start with that, and then we can, we can sure, sort of move sure. on from there. I think that was probably the, the most difficult part of the transition uh, for them when they were coming out of a biweekly newspaper, uh, creating a quarterly magazine. Um, in the past, they had done a lot of looking back. What's the news of the NCAA from the past couple of weeks? And that sort of very easily transitioned into what's the news of the NCAA from the past quarter. Um, also a heavy reliance on a lot of profiles of folks who work in athletics, uh, who were doing good things at, uh, in every division, in every member school. Um, uh, so a lot of reflection on, on those type of things. Um, now the, the challenge in moving from a biweekly uh, kind of speed to a quarterly speed is that suddenly uh, looking back isn't always the most effective thing to do because truly three months later, a lot of this stuff is really old news. Um, and so as champion, as the NCAA was trying to live in a digital environment but have this quarterly publication, I think that was probably um, the, the biggest challenge for them is how do we be more forward-looking? How do we be an organic publication that keeps up with the modern state of college sports um, without reflect, without looking too much uh, in the rearview mirror, um, and uh, uh, and and looking too much at um, at the people within the NCA? How do we always be be looking forward? And that was probably the the major transition for Champion. Um, Certainly from the beginning, it was a beautiful publication, and they could uh, take some, some extra time to, to look at bigger issues. Um, but that forward-looking aspect was a, was a big challenge in the beginning, I think. Yeah. So looking back at some of those, those early issues, then, Brian, what are some of the things that, that, um, that the, the magazine was focusing on as part of its launch? Because clearly it has to get people's attention. Anytime you're starting something new, and anytime you're changing something, um, there's going to be resistance and pressure and questions as to why this was fine. Why are we changing this? So in the beginning, then, what, did, what were some of, the, some of the stories, some of the, the, the issues that the magazine was focusing well, on? Well, you know, I think that uh, the, the biggest thing where it was kind of carrying over the mission of the news was that it was very much an insider publication at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, the, the main circulation was to uh, NCAA members, which the print circulation, that's still the case. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think what, it was, what they were looking to do was there was a, there was a real sense of duty amongst that amongst that staff to serve the members the news that they needed to be able to, to do their jobs properly and do their jobs in an informed way to understand what was happening in Indianapolis and kind of 
who were some of the leaders that were making some of these decisions for them. So a, a lot of the stories you know, were profiles of people who were on some of these committees and making these decisions, kind of what motivated them, why were they there, what, what, was, uh, what did they believe in college sports. Uh, a lot of the stories would focus on uh, decisions that committees were making or issues they were considering. Um, and so it, they were told in a, a very much an insider kind of, of, of tone, which was appropriate at the time as the main audience was carrying over from the newspaper. As, as time has gone on, what is, we've kind of learned is that there was a real interest from people outside of the NCAA uh, membership uh, to some of these stories because there was an ability we have to be able to tell a story from an inside perspective in a way that can be done with access that we don't that other organizations can't get access to, uh, you know, with uh, to be able to, to talk to certain people or get access to certain pieces of information uh, that aren't available outside the NCAA. Uh, NCAA's research uh, division, we can work with them to kind of spot trends ahead of time. Uh, we can kind of know what the what some of these committees are talking about in a bigger picture way so that we know some of the, you know, broader issues that might be coming down the pike two, three years down the road. And we have kind of a, a, an advanced notice of that because of some of these discussions that are going on. So we realize we kind of have an advantage in that way. And so we've really kind of tried to turn Champion Magazine to something that's more outward facing, that helps to talk about some of these important issues in a way that only we can. Amy, you mentioned the just the the look of the magazine, and and I've been a journalist for thirty years, and and I find that I'm drawn to things that have a certain look to them, and and I I will tell you I'm a fan of the magazine. You know, I look forward to it coming out, and and there are always some great stories and great profiles. Um, how do you then decide, you know, who you might profile? Or, or what issue you might decide to focus on in this particular edition? Uh, so we're receiving story ideas regularly from all of our member schools. Certainly we are as, as knowledgeable as, as anyone else who works at the national office about um, uh, what's going on in the news and what people are interested in. Um, and as I mentioned, we, we're particularly interested in, in staying ahead and thinking about what's next and thinking about what's timely. Folks don't usually think of a quarterly magazine as being very timely, mm -hmm. um, but we want to make sure that, uh, our, that our stories fit the season um, and that make sense within the, uh, within the time they're being published. Um, so for instance, we um, uh, certainly the sports we write about uh, stay in touch with that season. Um, when we wanted to, uh, for instance, spend some time with the NCAA travel staff and document how exactly they get folks. Uh, Which from... was a fascinating story, by the way. And we did that on our podcast here. And I was astonished yeah, at what yeah. they had to do and learned from, from the article that the magazine did about all of those things. It, just a, it was a great story. Sure. Well, and it's um, uh, I think that's the sort of process piece combined with pulling back the curtain where um, it, a reporter who who's not affiliated with a publication like Champion can't particularly get access to that story um, because uh, uh, because it's really the inner workings of how an organization pulls off.
off some very difficult things under a lot of deadline pressure. Um, and so we were able to spend Selection Sunday and the following week with that staff, turn that story around really quickly, um, publish it online so that we would be able to, to use it during March, Mad March Madness um, uh, at a time when people really, really cared about, about how the tournament was progressing. Um, and then it came out in print um, in our next quarterly edition, and that, that made sense for that particular story. Um, others we've done, we actually went behind the scenes with a referee who, uh, and any writer, any storyteller can tell you um, that there always has to be something at stake in a story. Mm -hmm. And um, we followed a man who had been wanting to get the opportunity to to officiate a Final Four, was sort of his career goal. He'd never been there. Uh, we were able to work with our, our folks at the national office who work with um, the officials and are part of the selection process for who's going to get to move on. They, they move on much the same way as teams do based on their performance, and they're, they're selected those, for those positions. So we had a writer, Brian Burnsett, um, who spent several weeks with uh, a couple of different officials, maybe hoping that one he had chosen to focus on would continue to to make it through the tournament. Um, and uh, and sure enough, we ended up selecting someone for our story who was an alternate to the final four. So um, made it or almost made it, depending on how you on how you look at it, but it made for a great storytelling opportunity um, and certainly, you know, a different kind of final four story at a time when People are hungry for Final Four information. Um, then, then most people might might get a chance to um, to do. Uh, and then, and then very recently, and this was a this was a story. I wasn't I wasn't sure uh, where it was going to take us, but I was actually able to to spend six months. And when I say I spent six months, I mean I worked on it for about six months. It wasn't mm -hmm. it wasn't my sole job. There were a lot of other things going on in that time too. But um, I actually embedded with our enforcement staff and was able to um, really get a feel for how things move from just being a tip or an anonymous call or one coach saying, you might want to check into this um, uh, at a school within my conference, um, how it goes from that point to um, the enforcement team uh, really looking into things to see um, uh, whether there might be a rules violation, um, and that was that was eye-opening, um, if for no other reason than really understanding sort of what motivates them, and and what their what their thoughts are. They they're really thinking about themselves as sort of the guardrails of college sports, and um, it's a difficult process to make sure everybody's on the the a level playing field, um, and just keeping keeping the schools within the guardrails. Um, keeping everybody honest, um, and what a challenge that is. I think that's a great story. Personally, I was served on the Division One Committee uh, on Infractions for a period of time, and I got to learn about the enforcement folks and how dedicated they are. And you know, I've, I've often, and I say this publicly, you know, when, when I hear people excoriating them, saying they're out to get people, and I try to explain it, can, that could not be farther from the truth. You know, they are doing, they are the conscience in some ways of the organization, and that's what the members want them to be. But um, sadly, in, in a lot of the, the, the media world, I, I think they get tarred and feathered. So it's, it's, it's good to get a, a real look at, at who these people are and how they approach all of this. Um, Brian, how about, you know, the, the issue types of pieces? 
I, I suspect some people would say, oh, this is a magazine that's put out by the NCA, so it must be just a, a matter of patting themselves on the back constantly and not taking a hard look at any of the issues that are percolating out there in the world of college sports. Is that accurate? Um, it's not. I like to say it's not accurate because uh, that's one thing that actually attracted me to Champion initially was that, you know, I think that when you think of a magazine that's kind of reporting on its own association, people think that it's going to be something that's just there to kind of promote. And we, we always say we're here to inform and to uh, really kind of step up to some issues that are not being addressed yet or things that really kind of need to be out in front of uh, before they become a problem. Um, a good example of that when I first got here six years ago was I was working on a story about uh, athletes with disabilities when you hear about the Paralympics all the time uh, whatnot. But uh, there was a committee that we had here that was looking into how does this affect college sports? Uh, are we going to have to, uh, you know, look at creating opportunities for some of these kids at some point? And as I started digging into it, I was shocked to find out that there was actually a law that protected athlete, people with disabilities from having access uh, to, athlete, you know, a different, basically, any educational environment, kind of it's same wording as Title IX. And mm -hmm. I couldn't believe this. Like, I never, you know, heard about this. And it really wasn't out there at all. But what was happening at the high school level is that there were a number of lawsuits. Tatiana McFadden was a gold medalist in the Paralympics uh, who came back and wanted to race uh, on her high school team. And they wouldn't let her. Uh, and so she sued and a number of other athletes, a number of other states sued uh, to be able to gain access to their high school teams. And uh, the, the hidden deep in one of these uh, uh, lawsuits that have been filed, uh, a source told me to go looking for a memo that was there. And it was a memo from the Department of Justice that basically uh, told the court not to consider dismissing this case as the state of Illinois had requested, uh, but that uh, basically was outlining that they see this as an equal rights uh, issue and they can expect uh, to, uh, the Department of Justice to take action that they're, they're going to uh, 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 interpret it in a way that uh, it's very kind of similar to Title IX. So what it, I realized that there was all these similarities with Title IX with this issue, and it was actually following the exact same path of Title IX. Just many years later, they'd been both been been uh, uh, both laws been passed about the same time, but Title IX needed several lawsuits to establish some of the guardrails for how it could be enforced, uh, and that's where you know some of the the tests that came to determining whether or not there's gender bias, uh, you know, being enacted by an institution comes from. This in this case, it hadn't happened, so I wrote a story that basically was predicting that we would be sued at some point uh, if we did not look at this issue seriously and consider how, you know, th this affects college sports. And, you know, I think that was kind of a radical idea for an association's magazine at the time that you could actually step up to an issue like that in kind of an investigative way and forecast a problem down the line uh, that, that uh, and, and kind of issue a warning to people. And, and in that time since, We've actually seen some progress in that area. We've seen uh, uh, our first Division One uh, track athlete has accepted a scholarship at the University of Arkansas. We've seen other track athletes. Uh, there was one I wrote about in the summer issue this past summer uh, that uh, he had almost won uh, uh, first, almost won an NCAA championship in his track meet. It was mm -hmm. uh, you know really kind of remarkable. So we've seen you know some progress from that. But you know four years ago when I wrote that story, it, it you know it was like unheard of to even consider an issue like that. Let, let, let's. As we wrap up, let's talk about as we celebrate the 10th anniversary, what's coming up short term and then 
and then challenges long term. Amy, let me ask you short term, and and we'll focus on the the winter 2018 issue. What can we be looking forward to there? Well, so one thing that we in the last two or three years have really tried to focus on is is what in the magazine world you uh, you, you call service journalism. Um, it's really sort of uh, news you can use. So mm-hmm. for Men's Health magazine, that means. I think every cover has eight ways to better abs. <laughs> to get your better abs. Like or that. 12 yeah. ways to get better abs. Or yeah. even one way to get better abs. Right, right, right. Um, but I'm suspecting we're not going to have a better abs issue here no, <laughs> for the champion no, magazine. No better abs issue for, right. for champion. Okay. That's um, disappointing for the old guys like me, who, 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 <laughs> former athletes, NCAA athletes, who are looking for better abs in some way, shape, or form. Well, so uh, so in in recent years, we've we've tackled everything from um, advice for college athletes who are uh, we called it competing to get a job. They're looking for uh, their their first postgraduate positions um, in their mm-hmm. in their major of choice, and they're wondering how do I use this time I've spent in athletics to help sell myself as empl- an employee, um, and so a, a service package that that demonstrated um, how you can talk about that, how you can write about that, how you can frame an interview, um, and have opportunities to really use that time and the lessons you learned there to sell yourself um, as an employee in your first job. Um, what we have coming up is a package on sleep, which is sort of the new nu- nutrition um, for um, a lot of college campuses. Um, you know, we recently had a Nobel Prize winner um, who was who was focusing on sleep research. It's sort of this, uh, it's not a new frontier. We've been, human beings have been sleeping for a very long time, but it's something that we know surprisingly <laughs> yeah, little about. We're starting about. to pay some more attention to it now. Exactly, yes. And um, there's a, a, a little D3 campus in Minnesota, uh, St. Thomas, right. um, that uh, has created a center for college sleep. And the interesting thing, they are, they are really trying to change the culture of their campus. So you think of college as a time for all-nighters. Culture is, is, is all-nighters, no sleep. Exactly. And um, and uh, uh, ordering pizza at 3 a.m. Mm. Um, and they're almost sort of making it cool to sleep more. And um, where, where was this when I was in college? Exactly. <laughs> we could have all utilized this, couldn't we? And they say, no, no, I'm supposed to be sleeping for 12 hours. Yes, yes. So what, one thing that was really telling at a, at a practice, there was a, a fullback who dropped three passes in a row, and, his, and he happens to be a neuroscience major. And his roommate, I saw his roommate say to him, you know, you, you clearly just need, need more sleep. Um, and that's the way that one student athlete teases another um, on this campus is to say, clearly you're not getting enough <laughs> sleep. Not you've got too challenging of a major and it's keeping you up too late studying, but uh, um, uh, you, you need to that's get some a, more sleep. That, that's, that's a great look um, at an interesting story. And last question for you, Brian. So, so 10 years, um, great success, great progress, evolution in the magazine. What do you see as the the challenges, the general challenges moving forward then, given what your niche is here? Well, I I think it's what any publication faces. It's it's relevance in a world that is increasingly competitive for people's eyeballs. Uh, It's, uh, you know, the, the amount of time in people's days has not increased, but the competition for their eyeballs has is grown tremendously over the last 15 years. And so, you know, what I really want Champion to be is, is, is something that people who work in college sports, play college sports, aspire to be in college sports, or just 
fans of college sports view as essential for understanding what is happening in college sports. It, college sports is a really complicated realm, and I, I think that a lot of times what people read from other publications maybe oversimplifies some of the things that are going on um, when really it's, it's, there's so many moving parts at any given time. There's so many issues that are involved. Uh, issues not just about sports, but social issues and financial issues and, and uh, things that really kind of reflect other things going on in society. And so I, I, I think that, you know, where we've carved out our niche is being able to talk about those complicated issues in a way that's understandable to people. And I'd like that to be, you know, us to for our readers to kind of see that as essential to understanding where the NCAA is going, not just Champion Magazine. Yeah. Well, it, it's been a great 10-year run for it and just the beginning of it. Uh, when, you, when, when I described this to somebody one time, uh, I was talking about the Champion Magazine and, and how compelling the stories were. And I go back. I had the, the uh, great opportunity to work for 60 Minutes for a number of years and doing stories for 60 Minutes Sports. And people look at 60 Minutes. It's been around for 50 years and enormously successful. And, and uh, legendary Don Hewitt, who started it, was once asked, how do you do that? And his answer was quite simple. He said, good stories, well told. And when I look at, at, at what the work that you all are doing at Champion Magazine, my first thought is good stories and important stories and well-told and very interesting. So congratulations on the 10-year anniversary and, and good luck as you spring forward to it. Brian Hendrickson, Amy Winter-Schwab, thanks so much for spending some time and talking with us. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, Jack. You both be well. That does it for today's episode of the College Sports Insider presented by the NCAA and Champion Magazine. Hope you enjoyed our conversation today. I'm Jack Ford. We'll look forward to talking again real soon. 